Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So uh, last, last week, we started a series called Religious Detox. And uh, we're, we're excited about this. Dennis kicked us off with talking about the, the, the unconditional, unearned, uh, unending, uh, unfailing love of God that we all have in Christ and because of what Christ has done for us. And, and so this, this idea that somehow we can mess up the love of God towards us and we could do anything that would hinder that is a lie. It is religious nonsense as Dennis would say, it's a bullcrap. And, um, and, and so we don't believe that. We believe that God's love is unconditional, and it never ends, and it's not affected by anything that we do. And so um, just so we can define terms again this morning, I just, just kind of a recap, I want to talk about the kind of define religion or religious and um, also detox. And so religion is a system of beliefs or practices that, that promise to bring us closer to God so that we can experience more of his blessing and more of his favor. And we believe that that is false, that that is a lie of the enemy. And, and so any religion that promises that you can do anything or not do anything, the flip side of that is that we could do something to mess it up, that we could do something that would hinder God's grace towards us. That's just a lie from the enemy. It's religion and it's wrong. And so, of course, detoxification is the removal of any harmful substance that would, that would um, cause us to, to be less than healthy. And the way that looks in, in our walk with the Lord is unhealthiness looks like anxiety. It looks like insecurity. It looks like, it looks like depression. It, it looks like hopelessness. It, it looks like powerlessness. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get us concerned about our own relationship and, and standing with the Lord so that we're always kind of doing this introspective navel-gazing to try to figure out if we're okay with God. Guys, I, I, remember, I remember coming into the sanctuary back, uh, you know, a decade or so ago, more than a decade now ago, and to, to pray. I would just come in here to, to pray and, and, and to seek the Lord about stuff, and all I can liken the feeling of walking through those doors to talk to the Lord is you ever have the experience of, of you know, a, a campfire or a, a fire pit where you're trying to roast marshmallows or, or hot dogs and, you, you know, you, your stick's not long enough and, and so you, you get kind of close and you can feel the, the burning heat. You're, it's almost like you're the hot dog. You know, you, your face is starting to kind of bubble and, no, I'm kidding, it's not that hot, but... But, you know, it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of how it felt to me to enter into this sanctuary and, and to know that I'm coming into the Lord's presence like he wasn't already with me. <laughs> we, the, the religious junk we believe, it's so bad. We just, we so need detoxification. As a senior pastor of this church, I would come in and spend the first 20 minutes what I called sucking up to God, confessing all my sins, reconfessing some of them, trying to make sure that somehow... That, that we were okay before I could actually enter into to prayer and intercession with, with the Lord. 
Forget about worship and praise. I was just trying to make sure I was on you know, good standing. That is, that is terrible. And that very thing right there drove me to despair to the point that I had an emotional breakdown in 2012. I won't go into any of that, but let's just suffice it to say that that was the thing that killed my joy, that stole my assurance, and that caused me to live in this, um, in this religious environment of, of toxic, I don't, the best way I can explain it is w- w- when I was little, uh, first eight years of my life, we lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. My dad was going to University of Tennessee. And uh, we, you know, we, this was in the 60s to start with, but we had a car that was from probably the early 50s or something. It was a black Plymouth, and there was no AC. Forget about seatbelts, anything else. And, and, and so in the middle of summer, we'd have to drive with the windows down. And so we'd go into town, and we'd get behind these city buses. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, my gosh. The, the, you could see the exhaust. and you know, It was just black and coming out of the, the back of that bus, and, and it was just toxic air. And you, you just fill your lungs with that, and it was like, ugh, you know, let alone your nostrils, you know, burned all of my nose hairs out. Anyway, um, it was horrible. And that, that is kind of a, a, a symbolic representation of what it's like to breathe the toxic air of legalistic religion that puts us in a conditional, transactional relationship with the God of grace. It's a smokescreen. Smokescreen. yeah. And, um, and what, I, what Dennis and I are hoping will happen in this series is that all of us can just breathe the fresh mountain, crisp, you know, wonderful air of the gospel of grace in Christ. Because that's the air that we actually breathe. And if you're breathing anything else, you need to, you need to run out of that place that you're at in religion and just start breathing the air of the gospel. So, um, uh, so, so last week, you know, the, 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 the topic was the toxic air, the toxic religious beliefs of conditional love, that somehow we can go in and out of God's love, and, you know, sometimes we're far away, sometimes we're close. Another religious toxin that, that, that God, that, that, um, that I want to talk about this morning is that, that God has to continually forgive the sins of his people as they come over and over and over again to confess their sins and to to get clean again, you know, we get all dirty and we're, we're, we're sinful and, 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 and there's this barrier between us and God. And now we've got to come and, and confess our sins and, and then he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And after we do that, after we spend 20 minutes sucking up to God like I, I did when I used to come in here to pray, then maybe we're okay. We're not quite sure. You know, that maybe there's something that we forgot to confess. You know, maybe, maybe we are, maybe we're not. But, but we, you know... That is a lie. That, 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 that we are anything less than forgiven is a lie. And so the title of my message this morning is, You Are Forgiven, period. Period. Nothing moves you away from that. Nothing at all. We have to understand that the work of Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago is a finished work. And I'm not going to bury the lead. I want to tell you something that that is super, super important. In John 20, when Jesus is dying on the cross, 
according to the Gospel of John, the last thing that Jesus says is before he gave up his spirit was the word, were the words, it is finished. Now, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't clap just yet. Let me tell you what it means. In the Aramaic, that phrase literally means, and I looked this up. I had heard this, but I, I wanted to make sure for myself that I wasn't telling you something that wasn't absolutely accurate. And so I looked it up, and it is absolutely accurate. The words that Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, means literally in the Aramaic, paid in full. Okay? And that can never, that can, if it's paid in full, no one can ever come after you to collect. It's paid. Your sins have been paid for on the cross. And so, yeah, this is exciting stuff. So the good news is that you and I are forgiven for every sin that we've ever committed or ever will commit. You know, Paul, Paul said that basically at the end of Romans 5, and he, then he asked the, the obvious question, shall we sin that grace may increase? Because where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. It increases all the more. So uh, for some people that... You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I heard it said this way, that those who have the best understanding of grace do not continue in ongoing sin. Grace sets us free from the desire to sin because, because when we're... I, I'm going to tell you something, guys. When, we don't, when we're not sure that we're forgiven, there, there's, a, there's something that settles in over our hearts that, that it's, it's a kind of fear... It's, it's, a, it's an insecurity. I've said this already. It steals our joy. We're not certain where we stand, and so there's an angst in our heart. And that angst, if it's allowed to grow, just becomes more and more uh, discouraging. And, and eventually, it will just it will eat us up on the inside, and we, we can become very depressed. And I heard recently that uh, a, young, a young man committed suicide, and the primary reason for that is that he just couldn't handle his brand of Christianity anymore. It just drove him to despair. That can happen, folks. I'm, I'm living proof of that. Wrong theology, wrong beliefs about God and his forgiveness. It, <laughs> I, I didn't intend to share this, but I, I'm going to have to share this. So, so 10 years ago, next month, about three weeks out, I woke up at, at 2 in the morning and... and uh, that was a regular occurrence for me. I would wake up at 2 in the morning in an anxiety attack. And this particular morning I woke up, this was the first, like the end of November, the first, first couple of days in December. I woke up, and I heard this inner voice say, would you like to know why I'm abandoning you? I thought it was the Lord. I'm like, okay, you know, what am I going to say? So I remember getting out of bed and just pacing the basement, you know, I, anyway, I, I sleep in the guest room now. Uh, Deb doesn't kick me out. I just, we just can't keep each other awake. So, awake. so anyway, I'm downstairs. I'm, I'm pacing the basement. And for like an hour, I hear this voice in my head just cataloging all the ways that I've failed, all the things that I've done wrong, all the things that I hadn't done right. And the very last thing this voice said in my head was, and, and that's why you'll never hear my voice again. And then it went, silent and I was absolutely terrified 
And three days later, I was in the hospital. And I had, I had thought about taking my life. I just couldn't stand it. I couldn't live with that. Hallelujah, I don't have to live with that. I know, I know where I stand now. So not knowing if you're forgiven and believing that you have to go to God and ask forgiveness over and over and over again to be forgiven is a lie. And, and you know, I have known people, I have known people, I have counseled with people that they could never really and truly believe that God could forgive them for what they did. What they did was so wrong, so bad, so out of sync with God's will, and it affected other people, and it affected it to the point that they really didn't feel like they could ever be forgiven. That the blood of Jesus couldn't touch what they had done. Man, what a lie. Satan would love to keep us there. It keeps us frozen in, in this navel-gazing you know, hesitancy with God. And, and, and we're no use to the kingdom at that point. Not, I mean, not that that should bring condemnation, but we're just frozen in fear and insecurity and uncertainty, and we can't live the life that God intends for us to live in the gospel, being ambassadors of the gospel to the rest of the world, to people outside looking in, wanting to know, what, what shall I do to be saved? How can I get my sins forgiven? If we're not certain ours are forgiven, we can't help other people. Does that make sense? And so we live discouraged and defeated lives, not being able to get free because we're just not sure. So the conventional religion says that, that we have to keep going back and back again and asking forgiveness and making sure that we're right with God and keeping short accounts with God. You ever heard that one? Be sure and keep short accounts with God when you sin. Now let me just say this. I believe that it's, you know, if I hurt Deb, my wife, as a matter of fact, this just happened last night. <laughs> I was on my way over here to work on my sermon, and I couldn't leave until I got things right. So I had to go back, and, you know, I'd said something and hurt her feelings, and I was angry, and it was stupid. It was just so stupid. We, we argue over that. I mean, and when you're married people, you argue over the stupidest things. I mean, this is, but the enemy loves that, you know. He's always in there kind of. And so, and so I, I stormed out, and I got my coat, and I was going to go work on my sermon. And the Lord said, he's like, where are you going? I'm going to work on my sermon and, 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 and leave this unresolved. Are you kidding me? How, how much do you think you're going to get done on your sermon until you get this right? I mean, that wasn't, God wasn't mad at me. He just knew that if I came over here, that wasn't going to work. So I go back, and I'm sorry, Deb, you know. I, and we talked that, I mean, within 30 seconds, we've resolved it. But here's the point. That relationship is super important. It's not that she wouldn't forgive me or she would leave me or, you know, we would, that our marriage is over, you know, or until I, you know, she's still my wife. She still loves me. In fact, it's because she loves me that I hurt her. And so I, you, you don't hurt people that, that don't love you, you know. But, but when there's that bond. So, I mean, it's important to say I'm sorry. And when I sin, I, I, I want to say I'm sorry. Not so I'll get my salvation back. Not to, you know... It's so that, you know, I just want to make sure that, that the Lord understands that I love him and I, I don't want to do stupid things that, you know, are against his will and that sort of thing. But it has nothing to do with my standing before the Lord. Nothing. 
If you're never quite sure you're forgiven, you will never be fully free to live the Christian life. So I want to convince you this morning that you are free. And I want to start with... um, I want to start with he, uh, uh, the book of Hebrews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love Hebrews. I'm not a Hebrew, but I love Hebrews. I am a child of Abraham, however, a son of Abraham. So I want to look at one of my very, 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 very favorite uh, passages of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, beginning with verse 14. All right, we got that on the screen here? Yeah. So... I think there should be one scripture in front of that. No, no verse 14? Bummer. Okay, well, here's what it says. This is, this is my, one of my all-time favorites. For by one sacrifice. He's already talked about how the sacrificial system of the Hebrews under the old covenant that we're no longer under could never take away sins. Year after year, the priest had to offer sacrifices, slaughter animals, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the, of, you know, the top of the Ark of the Covenant and on the people and, so that their sins would be covered for another year. So every year you got renewed in that, okay? No longer the case. The new covenant has been established. The book of Hebrews is talking about how the old covenant has passed away and we're under a new covenant. And he says this, for by one sacrifice, he, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made perfect forever. Let that sink in for a minute. He's made you perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Now, let me just stop there and explain this. I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, it says first, right out of the gate, by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself on the cross he has perfected forever us how is that possible do you feel perfect last night i proved i wasn't however in our spirits we are perfected when the holy spirit comes into our spirits we're perfected in the spirit our spirit can never be defiled we are one with him in the spirit so that is perfected forever He's perfected forever those who are being made holy. Two things there. First of all, it doesn't say those who make themselves holy. It says those who are being made holy. Well, what, I thought we were perfected forever. We are in the spirit. But in our souls, our minds, our wills, our emotions, and our identity are needing to be worked on and perfected by the Holy Spirit. It's his job to make you holy. It's not your job, so take your hands off. That's not your job. And it has nothing to do with your salvation because the being made perfect, or perfected forever, I should say, has taken care of your sin. You are now perfected forever, but your minds are being renewed your wills are being surrendered, and that's not a one-time deal. I, you know, trust me, I know that. Your emotions are being healed, hallelujah, and your identity is being restored because the enemy has stolen that. So many Christians walk around and don't even know who they are. Let me just give you a clue here. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. 
Forget about anything else that would define you. Your job, your position in your family, uh, you, know, your, you know, your position in anything else in life. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. John in Christ Jesus. Robert in Christ Jesus. Dave in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. And let me, let me just tell you this also about this covenant that we're talking about right now. See, the old covenant was between God and his people. And the people couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. God says, if you do these things, I'll bless you. But if you don't do these things or you do wrong things, then you come under my curse. And he, if you read the end of Deuteronomy, he lists all these things he'll do for them if they will walk in holiness. But if they don't, here's all the curses that will happen. I'm so glad that's the old covenant. <laughs> because under the new covenant, here's what's happened. God has made a covenant with his son, who is a human, who became the last Adam, who, who took us with him to the cross and died as us, with us, on the cross. So that Paul says in Romans 6... You died with Christ. You were buried with him, and you were raised to live a new life in the Spirit. The new covenant is between the Father and the Son, and we are in him. And he's taking care of everything. Jesus has taken care of your side of the equation. In his act of obedience on the cross, he's done everything that needed to happen for you and me to be okay with God forever including the forgiveness of sins. All right, so let me finish reading this. So the Holy Spirit testifies about this. Uh, first he says, go ahead, to the next slide. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Or them after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So, so he's dealing with our hearts and minds. Go ahead, next slide. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. Period. Period. Could, could we throw up just real quick that scripture out of Romans 4? Right here. I, I, I know I've gotten out of order. Paul, in talking about salvation that comes through faith, faith in Christ, through faith, just like Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's talking about a righteousness that comes by faith, not by works. And, and David, or, uh, Paul is quoting David in the Psalms when he says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Go ahead to the next slide. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never, never, never count against him. That's you and me, folks, under the new covenant. That's never going to happen. He's never going to count our sins against us. And so let's go back to, to, to Romans, uh, I mean, to Hebrews um, uh, 10 17. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. This is out of Jeremiah 31 31. This is the new covenant that God is saying, I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And by the way, the house of Israel means the descendants of Abraham. And Romans 4 says that we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. So this is our covenant right here. And our sins and our lawless deeds, 
God remembers no more. If you've sinned and you go back to talk to him about it, he'll be like, what are you talking about? I, I don't even know what you're referring to. <laughs> when he says, I'll remember no more, he means it. Go, go to the next slide, please. And where there has been for, and where, let me just look here. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Well, that's really good, writer of Hebrews. But what about, what about that scripture in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, I want to tell you, that scripture has driven me crazy through the years. Because on the one hand, all my sins are forgiven. They're forgotten. Jesus, by, by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made. So what, what is this saying? So, so even though that's true, there's this schizophrenia in the new covenant where, okay, you're forgiven for all time, for all sin, past, present, and future. And yet, if you sin, you better confess that sin. And then if you do that, he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I'm righteous, and it's a gift, as we've been saying over and over and over again. Righteousness is a gift from God that comes through Christ by faith. But we have to add something to it here. Come on. What, which way is it? Is, am I forgiven or not? Am I righteous or not? Do I have to keep going back to God and confessing my sins? And by the way, what if I forget to confess one? Does that mean I'm not forgiven? Does that mean I'm not righteous anymore? What, what, what's, the, what's the deal here? Well, I've already said, you know, I, I think it's important to, to, to say I'm sorry. But, but the context, I mean, it, you know, every scripture has to be read in context. And so I want to show you the context of, of this. Verse 6 says, oh, verse 8, I'm sorry. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He says earlier, he's writing to people who obviously don't know the full gospel. And so he says in verse 5, and it's not on the screen, I'm just going to read this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So he's declaring the gospel now, okay? The, you don't just keep declaring the gospel like this to people that already know it. It's like, yeah, yeah, we get it, John. We understand that. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We're still in the dark. We still haven't come into the light of salvation. We lie and we do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies from all sin. But if we claim to be without sin, which some people were doing because they were law keepers and they felt like they had a pretty good, we got this, you know, keeping the law thing down pretty good. We don't need that. We don't need a savior. That's why they crucified Jesus. Because he told them that, that they needed him to save them. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But, on the other hand, if we own the fact that we're sinners, if we confess our sin, 
Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because he died on the cross for that, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, period. End of, end of, of discussion. So come on, let's live in the light. Let's live in the truth of the gospel. Let's believe this. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So we have sinned, but then he died, and our sin has been dealt with, and now we've been forgiven, and now we live in righteousness. To prove that, I want to I go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read this out of the New American Standard. Now look at this. This settles the issue for me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Next slide. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, if we understand that we're reconciled to God, then that sets our hearts free. We're filled with joy, and we want to tell somebody. Do you know that God's dealt with it? Look what it says next. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ not counting men's sins against them. Jesus died for every sin that's ever been committed. Now, we're not universalists. We, there's a gift that's been given. Jesus has died for sin, but we have to receive that. We have to receive it. it. The gift is there at the foot of the cross if you want it. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. You can still live in darkness. You can still live in, in a, out of relationship with God. But, but the, whole, the sin issue has been dealt with. That's not the barrier anymore. There is no barrier to come to, to God because Christ has left the gift of righteousness at the foot of the cross. All we have to do is receive it. If we don't, we lose out. But if we do... Then we're reconciled to God. Next, next verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's, that's what, so take the gift of righteousness that he's provided on the cross. Take it. It's yours. Be reconciled to God. You know, I don't lead people through the sinner's prayer anymore. I just say, come home. Like the prodigal, just come home. God doesn't want your speech. He just wants your heart. Just come home. Sin has been dealt with because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become, and we have, the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Oh, do you feel that? Can you feel, just fill your lungs with the fresh air of the gospel of grace? Just, just breathe that in, folks. It's been done. It's been accomplished. Your sins are forgiven, period. <laughs> Your sins are forgiven, period. So John's not telling us we have to do something in order to be forgiven in, in 1 John 1. I'm so, I'm so glad that's settled in my heart forever because that scripture drove me crazy, honestly. And so there's no exception clause to the grace of God. His forgiveness in Christ is forever for those who have received it. No extra step to be truly forgiven and truly made righteous. You are 100% forgiven 
forever if you believe in Christ and belong to Christ. So you don't have to worry about keeping short accounts with God. If you want to say I'm sorry when you sin, by all means. I, I think relationally that's really good. I think that's really good. I think, you know, there's the justification side of things and the sanctification side of things. And so much of the, of the things in Scripture that are warnings that we think have to do with our justification are only... They only have to do with sanctification. You know, Jesus says, you know, forgive or you won't be forgiven. Well, on the other side of the cross, it says forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Let's, let's pass on the grace to other people that we've received. Not that it's a condition of our salvation, but it's just how we ought to live. If someone comes to me and says forgive me, or even if they don't, They've hurt me in some way. Man, how many times have I blown it? How many times have I screwed up and the grace of God never changes towards me? Why should I hold things against other people? It's the same thing. So, so there's no, <laughs> your account has been paid in full. There's the, by the blood of Jesus, your, your debt has been stamped with the blood of Jesus that says paid in full. You don't owe him anything. You're forgiven your salvation is intact. There is no conditional forgiveness anymore, no conditional love. It's an unconditional gift, and we don't need to pay for something that has been freely given. The gift is free. We don't have to pay for it. In fact, to offer to pay for a free gift is an insult. So let's just move away from that. I mean, God's not offended it just makes him sad when, when we're walking around and moping around and we think, oh, you know, I'm not sure if he still is, if we're okay. You know, it's, that does not help anything. And he, Paul said it this way, I will not frustrate the grace of God. I'm just not going to live in a way that frustrates his grace. Let's don't do that. Let's live in freedom. Let's live knowing that, let's live loved, as Dennis talked about last week. And just know that you are forgiven if you belong to Christ, period. Okay? Man, I, are you ready to worship? I know I am. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to say a couple more things and then, and then we're just going to, I'm going to pray and then we're just going to worship the Lord who has done all of this for us. Yeah, so... At the beginning of the sermon, I said, paid in full. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, is still the law. The Sermon on the Mount is the law, a lot of it anyway. You know, you've heard it said this. I say this. You know, you heard it said if you commit adultery, uh, you know, you're guilty of sin. I say that if you look at someone lustfully in your heart, you commit adultery. So what Jesus did was raise the you know, the bar from high jump level to pole vault level, and you don't get a pole. <laughs> You've heard it said, you better not, you know, well, this is actually the level here. And then he says this, right at the beginning of Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law. So the law stays, the law's intact. But I came to fulfill it. To fulfill it. And so when he says on the cross, paid in full, he fulfilled the law for us. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Paid in full. Paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. Lord, we thank you that we are no longer guilty of sin, that we don't have to do anything. We don't have to jump through hoops to get your forgiveness, Lord. That we are forgiven in Christ once and for all. That the sacrifice that he died to to make us clean is a once and for all act. And it's a free gift now of righteousness. And we accept that gift, Lord. And we praise you and we worship you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.